0: This is a Woodside Church podcast. We have the wonderful Daniel Sancto preaching today. So if I can have a big round of applause and welcome him up. Thank you. Right, good morning. I hope you can all hear me. Just as a quick means of introduction, I'm married to the lovely Lena Santo, who has just done the notices. And if you see her waving or something, don't worry, that's just a, sim- a sign for me to say I'm speaking too fast or something like that. So just ignore her. So, as um, Adam has said, we're continuing with our series of one-liner verses from Colossians. And last week, Tim introduce the series through looking at how our lives are transformed when we become Christians and as such we put off the old life we once lived and put on a new life. And I'm really encouraged this morning by all the contributions that have been given in the worship so thank you all for that because that's really reflected in what I'm going to talk to you today about. So my one liner is let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and it's based on Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 and that states and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Now the first question I really want to ask you today, this morning, is what is ruling your heart? Because whatever rules our hearts will govern, direct, and control our thoughts and actions. And it's God's will for us that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. But before we look at what it means for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, Let's quickly look at the word peace and what this means in a biblical sense. So the Hebrew or Jewish word for peace is shalom. Now shalom doesn't just mean the absence of war, but according to the Vines Concise Dictionary of the Bible, shalom also means completeness, welfare, health, harmony, wholeness, the state of being at ease, which is the opposite of the state of strife. It also signifies a prosperous relationship between two or more parties. So the first and most significant point I want to make about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has brought about peace between God and us. In chapter one of Colossians, we learn that Christ transforms our relationship with God. In chapter one, verse 20, Paul says that the members of the church at Colossae were once enemies of God before believing in Jesus, as their thinking and actions were hostile towards God. However, Paul also says that through the work of Jesus we are reconciled with God. What does reconcile mean? It means to restore friendly relations. You see that the Bible teaches us that God is a God of love and a relational God. He wants a relationship with us. And this then this was how it was at the very beginning, but God's love is perfect, so much so that God has given us a choice to love Him. So through this freedom, we can truly and freely choose to love God. It would look a very different sort of relationship if God had not given us this choice. But unfortunately, through this freedom, we see that in the um, we see that in the Bible that our relationship with God at the very beginning were shattered by us exercising our freedom and making choices that were contrary to God's way. Now I could go into this more, but time will not allow this morning. Suffice to say that God has provided a solution to this problem and at great cost through Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, a book in the New Testament, it states that Jesus is a mediator between God and us and reconciles or brings us back into relationship with God. This is why in chapter nine, verse six of Isaiah, a book in the Old Testament that Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Therefore, peace in our hearts with God is only possible through the work of Jesus. So does the outworking of the peace that Jesus gives stop at a restored relationship with God? No, the outworking of the peace of Christ goes much, much further than that. In the context of Colossians chapter three verse 15, Paul is talking about how the peace of Christ should influence and impact upon our relationships with one another in the church. However, I'm not gonna go into that too much this morning because this is gonna be covered in another preach later on in the series. Therefore, I want to look at other ways in which the peace of Jesus should rule in our hearts. So in preparing for speaking to you today, I chose this verse as it was something that really struck out for me when I was reading this chapter, because on a personal level, the peace of Christ that Jesus brought into my heart has had a big impact upon me, but I'll share more about that later. So let's see what Jesus said about peace himself. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, what did Jesus mean about uh, giving peace, not as the world gives? Well, at the time Jesus said this, it was a period that historians now refer to as Pax Romana. Uh, This was a period of 200 years of stability and peace throughout the Roman Empire. However, to the poor and vulnerable, this peace would seem very superficial. And also, let's not forget how the peace of the Roman Empire was achieved and enforced by brutal oppression on nations such as Israel. But this was over 2,000 years ago. Is the peace that the the world gives any different now? Well, leaving aside the definition of peace as the absence of war, let's look at peace as the absence of worry or anxiety. Now, I'm confident that all of us in this room will have experienced worries or fears at situations that occur on a day-to-day basis, or we worry about things that might happen in the future. I'm also confident that we've all differed in our responses and reactions to these circumstances. But also a quick look at the following statistics shows that anxiety is a common issue facing many in the UK. So a specific survey about mental health and well-being, which takes place every seven years in the UK, the last survey of which took place in 2014, found that anxiety or generalised anxiety was the most common mental health issue affecting six in every 100 people in the UK. And also, according to the mental health charity Anxiety UK, there was a 12.8% rise in people experiencing an anxiety-related disorder between 1993 and 2007. Now, I couldn't find any more up-to-date statistics, but with austerity, climate change, knife crime, the rise of zero-hour contracts and Brexit, to name a few issues affecting us today, I dare say this increase could well be in higher. Whilst there are things in this world such as a home, bank balance if we're lucky enough, pension pot, our circumstances, our education, family, friends and jobs that may give us a sense of peace. These things, although they're good in themselves, they're also temporary and changeable. Jesus' peace is fundamentally different to that which the world can offer. Firstly because it provides a direct relationship with God, but also because Jesus provides a permanent and fulfilling peace because he takes our worries and burdens. The peace that Jesus brings to our heart is also out of this world because we can come to Jesus with the reassurance that Jesus knows and experiences the realities in this world. Was Jesus ever anxious? Well, we read in the New Testament books of Matthew, Luke and John how Jesus was at the point of crucifixion, where Jesus is described as being in agony to the point where his sweat became like drops of blood. Now, this agony was not a result of some trivial issue, but because of the prospect of unimaginable suffering, which is too profound to even understand. However, in the book in the New Testament called Hebrews, in chapter four, verses 15 to 16, we read this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. My point is, is that we should be comforted and have peace in our hearts because Jesus is not some far off removed deity. Jesus is not some emotionless and hypocritical judge who is far removed from reality or a flawed leader who promises much but delivers little. Jesus is not a compassionless counsellor. In fact, the Bible says he's a wonderful counsellor. Jesus lived an unprotected life on this earth. He knows what it's like to feel love, joy, gladness, tiredness, pain, anger, sadness, betrayal and anxiety. But in experiencing all of this, Jesus didn't sin. So we should have peace in our hearts as we have Jesus who overcame all of this and also who can sympathize with us and also draws close to us and forgives us. Because Jesus knows what it is to be human, he knew that worrying is a natural response and commanded us not to worry. But is it easy just to stop worrying because Jesus commanded it? No, but fortunately through the grace of God, we're not just left with a command. Jesus freely gives us his peace as it's God's will that peace should rule in our hearts. We read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that one of the characteristics of the fruit of, of the Holy Spirit that he produces in our lives is peace. We do not grow in this fruit by our strength, but by through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and the extent to which we seek Jesus and let the work of the Holy Spirit transform our lives. Just as Tim explained last week, this is a process. Now, I first came to truly experience this peace about six years ago. Uh, for the majority of my life, I had a laid-back personality and I wasn't really worried about anything. But this started to change following the birth of our first son. However, it was a particular situation that occurred whilst working early on as my career as a social worker that caused me a significant amount of stress and worry. Now, I can't go exactly into these details. However, I had been involved with a particular person whom the court had ordered a psychiatric report for. Now, Unfortunately, at the time, uh, the information uh, that would normally be produced was a bit delayed, so in the absence of an official report that was normally produced, I had initially given the psychiatrist who was doing the report information from a police officer, which included statements and some other information. Now, on the weekend before this psychiatric report was due, my thoughts began to um, be directed towards the next court hearing. And whilst I began thinking about the case, I suddenly had a panic that the information I'd given was technically unofficial. And for all I knew that the official documents might be totally different, as I was aware that there'd been changes in the charges of this particular case. So from that point on, my thoughts became focused on this one particular case and the impact that my actions could potentially have. That was a very long weekend for me. And I'm not exaggerating, for two nights, I only had a couple of um, hours sleep. Uh, over the Friday and Saturday. I couldn't sleep. My heart and mind were literally racing and my thoughts were dominated by fear. I couldn't enjoy any TV programs or films and when I did go to bed all I could hear was my pulse. So sleep eluded me. I had no peace. Now during this time I was a Christian and would say a fairly mature Christian. I've been praying, praying fairly, uh, fairly frantically but I remained significantly anxious. And it was on the Sunday when I'd been looking up passages in the Bible and understood that Jesus had said not to worry about what you'll eat and what you'll wear. But I wasn't worried about these things. I was worried that I'd made a mistake and wondered whether there was grace and provision for me because of an error that I'd made. And then I came across the following verses. In Philippians chapter 4 verses 5 to 7, it states, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And also in 1 Peter, chapter five, verses six to seven, which states, humble yourselves therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto him, because he cares for you, It was during this time that I'd realized that although I'd been praying and praying frantically about the situation, I'd still been holding on to my anxieties. And I realized that in worrying, I was effectively trying to be God of my situation. As, although I was praying, uh, sorry, as I I was trying to think how I could possibly salvage the situation, I was therefore trusting in my own ability rather than trusting in God. But then I got to a point where I was just physically unable to continue. And I clearly remember letting go of my worries and consciously casting them onto God. And at that point, the burden and weight of my worries was literally lifted from me. And that night, I was able to enjoy a peaceful night's sleep. Now, you might be thinking, what happened to me when I went to work the next day? Well, it just so happened that the information I'd given was exactly the same as the official documents. And I can remember clearly how I felt that the whole weekend had been robbed from me because I've been worrying unnecessarily and had allowed that worry to dominate me. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it states that anxiety in a person's heart weighs them down. But worry and anxiety can do much more than this. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus in a parable or an analogy about the kingdom of God said, The worries of this life, amongst other factors, could limit the work or the fruit of God in our lives. However, this experience was extremely valuable to me. I had been concerned that situation of my own creating and faults had somehow disqualified me. And in order to rectify that situation, I'd been striving in my own strength. However, we read in the book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now this is the wonder and the glory of God, that despite making mistakes and our weaknesses, he chose us. And not only did he choose us, he included us in his plans. And it's through our weaknesses and failings that God's power is demonstrated. So through all of this, I learned to humble myself in situations and to rely totally on God through submitting everything to God. So do I still worry? Yes, I do, it's a natural response. But the difference is, is that I give those anxieties on to Jesus and don't let those worries dominate me. So this leads me to my third point. In order for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, we need to let go of our worries and concerns and give them back to Jesus. Well, how do we do this? Well, if we take a quick look back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 7, we see that in verse 7, we're encouraged to cast our anxieties onto Jesus. Now, I don't know what picture you have in your mind when you think of the word cast. I was thinking of the word cast as in fishing, where you just keep hold of the fishing rod. But actually, the word cast is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as throwing something forcefully in a specific direction. In the New Bible Commentary of 1 Peter, David Wheaterton states that the Greek word used in that sentence is a verb literally meaning to hurl. Now, if we throw something, we're doing it with a purpose. And most importantly, we're letting go of whatever it is that we're throwing. In the same way, we're encouraged to throw and let go of our anxieties onto Jesus in order to allow the peace that comes from Jesus to fill our hearts, as it's God's will that we have peace in our hearts and he doesn't want us to be ruled with fear or anxiety. So the first thing we need to do is throw our worries and anxieties onto Jesus. And I think that in throwing our worries to Jesus, we're actively demonstrating our trust and hope in God. If we look at Colossians chapter three, verse 15, and Philippians chapter four, verses five to seven, both verses encourage us to be thankful. But isn't that a bit counterintuitive? How or why would you be thankful in the midst of a difficult, traumatic, or stressful situation? Well, by giving thanks, you're actually demonstrating trust in God. And this is important, right? There's little point in giving our anxieties or worries to God if we do not have faith that He's in control and sovereign. So the second thing we need to do is trust God. The third thing that we need to do is to thank God. So it's good to remember previous times where God has helped us. And um, if we don't have those situations or or personal stories that we can give to God, we can also in faith thank God for who he is and the promises of the Bible. And I've just um, found a few verses, but there's many, many more. In Matthew chapter six, verses 25 to 34, Jesus states that God is our father in heaven. And not only that, He's our good father and knows and provides for our needs. In Romans chapter eight, verse 32, it states that God loves us and graciously gives us all things, including his only son. In Philippians chapter four, verse 13, it states that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus states that he carries our burdens and gives us rest. In Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, it states that God has plans for us, plans to prosper us and give us hope. And in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 13, it states that God will help us. And finally, my personal favorite, Isaiah chapter 46 verse four, which states even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I've made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. Isn't that reassuring? We have God who's promised us that throughout all our life, he will sustain, carry, and keep on rescuing us. Through reading these verses and praying them out, our focus should turn from ourselves and our situation and change our perspective. As we heard Tim preach about last week and also in the words that were given this morning, we need to set our sights or focus upon heaven and and in Jesus. And in so doing, uh, the peace will rule our hearts. So this leads me to my fourth point. In order for the peace to be in our hearts, perspective is important. Firstly, we need a heavenly perspective. But what difference will a heavenly perspective give us? Well, perhaps the greatest example I could think of in the Bible is a book in the Old Testament called Exodus. Now Exodus documents the journey of the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, near the beginning of uh, Exodus in chapter 13, verse 26 onwards, it recounts how the leader, Moses, sent out 12 spies to spy the land that God had promised them. Now, I just want to read you a small bit of this, which is a report that the spies bring back. So they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live in that land are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amakalites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack these people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now, the spies agreed that the land was good, flowing with milk and honey. However, this is where the similarities ended. Joshua and Caleb's perspective differed significantly from the other ten spies. The ten spies' hearts were ruled by fear. They were more focused on their fears. The cities were well fortified, the people were stronger, the people were like giants, and they were grasshoppers compared to them. Caleb and Joshua went into the land and saw the same things but they viewed it from a heavenly perspective. Their eyes were upon God and his promises and they had peace in their hearts and they were not afraid. So in order for peace to rule in our hearts, we need to view the current situation from a heavenly perspective. We need to remind ourselves that we have a good father in heaven who cares and provides for us and will never leave us or forsake us. Now the final point I want to make about perspective is to highlight what Jesus said about worry in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus states, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I have in the past invested a lot of energy and worry about situations, rehearsing them in my mind, thinking about how these issues might pan out in the future. And it's strange, but a lot of that time was also spent thinking about the worst case scenario only for that anticipated event, not to materialize or, if or, if it, or for it to go much better than anticipated. And in order for peace to rule in our hearts, we need to fix our perspective on the immediate issues rather than worry about future issues. Also, just on a practical point, it's good for us to share our worries and anxieties with people in your community group. But does that mean we don't need to plan, we don't need to think about the future? No. Let me be absolutely clear on that point. But in planning and considering for the future, we should not let our hearts be uh, dominated by fear or worry. For example, in my job, I now advise a family court. And in my role, I don't just walk into court without having read the cases and prepared a response to them. But in my planning, as tempted as I may be on occasions to worry, I don't let myself become dominated by fear or anxiety. And if there is an issue I'm concerned about, I'll pray, and give that anxiety to God. So just in concluding, I'd like to remind us that it's God's will that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, and that Jesus has brought about peace in our relationship with God. Jesus gives us this peace to the situations that we face. In order for this peace to rule in our hearts, we also need to throw our worries and fears or anxieties onto God, trust God, and give thanks to God. Finally, we also need to view our situation, our worries or anxieties through a heavenly perspective mm-hmm. and not let our hearts be dominated by future worries. So in finishing, uh, let's just, I'd just like to pray for you all. So if you can all stand. And uh, yeah, if you can all just close your eyes. And firstly, my main prayer is in regard to your hearts. What's ruling your hearts today? And I pray for all of us that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. And for those who don't know Jesus, you can have peace with God today. And also I just pray for any of you right now where worry or anxiety is dominating your lives and your thoughts just like me in the story I told. I thank you, Lord, that you are a good father. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to give peace right now just as they trust in you and throw their burdens to you. I thank you that it doesn't matter how big the worry is, because you, Lord Jesus, are bigger than that situation and the fears that they're experiencing. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your perfect love drives out all fear. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.